Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm Brad, I'm your host, and I'm a beggar. I found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and I'm telling others where this bread can be found while it still may be found. This episode, Return of the King. Credit Europe with the title to this episode, not J.R.R. Tolkien. Credit Europe and the band Europe, not the continent. That would be weird. Europe, out of Sweden, the number four all-time most popular band out of Sweden, if you didn't know, trailing only AHA, Roxette, and ABBA. Well, of course, I mean, how are you going to compete with ABBA? They originally went by the name Force, and their bassist, John Levain, left the band to join Ingve Malmsteen's Rising Force. Now, that's a little bit strange, right? He went from the band Force to Rising Force, which that ended up sending Ingve's bassist, Marcel Jacob, to the band Force. Well, neither bassist liked their respective new bands, and so after just a few months, they switched back. Force's lead singer Joey Tempest changed the band's name to Europe, just before his girlfriend entered them into a contest to win a recording contract, which they did win. And it was based on the strength of a couple of songs, including Return of the King. And there are several songs and albums by Europe, which seem to have biblical references. And I'm not labeling them a Christian band here. That's not what I'm doing. But, I mean, you've got... War of the Kings, Return of the King, Last Look at Eden, Walk the Earth, and The Final Countdown, which is their most popular album of all time, containing their three most popular songs, Rock the Night, Carrie, and the title track, of course, The Final Countdown, which you could not watch MTV for more than a half hour in 1986 without hearing... Anyway, that's enough. It's not about the music. It's about the message, Return of the King. So let's take a look at a parable told by Yeshua during his interaction with a notorious tax collector, Zacchaeus. This parable became of particular interest to me here lately, as I've been studying through the book of Hebrews again. And I'm going to begin in the book of Luke, chapter 19. This is where the parable is found. We'll start at verse 11. This is just after Yeshua had said within earshot of many doubters and skeptics that salvation had come to Zacchaeus's house that day. We then read, picking up in verse 11. As they were listening to this, Yeshua went on to tell a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was about to appear at once. Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went to a faraway land to receive for himself a kingdom, and then return. And calling... Ten of his own slaves, he gave them ten minas, and said to them, Do business until I come back. But his citizens detested him, 
And they sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this fellow to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he called for those slaves to whom he had given the money. He wanted to know how much business they had done. Now the first appeared saying, Master, your one mina has made ten. The master said to him, Well done, good slave, because you were faithful with so little. Take charge over ten cities. Also, the second slave came, saying, Your mina, master, made five. Then he said to this one, You are likewise over five cities. But another came, saying, Master, here is your mina. I was keeping it safe in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a strict man. You take what you do not make and reap what you do not sow. He said to him, By the words of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked slave. You knew that I am strict, taking what I did not make and reaping what I did not sow. Then why didn't you put my money in the bank so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then to the bystanders he said, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Sir, he has ten minas. I tell you, everyone who has to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who doesn't have, even what he doesn't have shall be taken away. But those hostile to me who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them here and execute them before me. Now, as with many, if not all, of Yeshua's parables, there are layers to this one. In its context, he's addressing two areas, and we're going to stay focused within uh, the face value of this parable. But he's addressing two areas of concern, and one is the minas. Some translations say talents, the parable of the talents. And this is focusing on what people do with the resources Adonai has blessed us with, be it money, talent, gifts, time, etc. What are we doing to build his kingdom with what he has given us? Now, both of these, they go hand in hand, these two facets or aspects of this parable. But the other point in the parable refers to a nobleman who was to be named king of a certain people. He left to receive his kingdom. Then the king returned to take his rightful place on the throne. Now, the audience of this parable would make a connection to this aspect of the parable, certainly, both facets, really, but this would stand out to them. Um, it, there is a, uh, a strong connection here because they had a contemporary situation which impacted their lives that paralleled this parable. First century historians record Herod, Herod the Great, was having a tough time ruling over the territory of Israel, which was allotted to him. And many of the Jewish leaders particularly were not fond of how brutal he was. In 41 BC, Herod, whose dad was good friends with Julius Caesar, and Herod himself was pretty friendly with a guy named Mark Anthony. Well, he went to Rome where he was commissioned and given the title 
king of the Jews. He then returned to Judea with new authority and a brand new shiny title. Now, when he left to go to Rome for his commission, most of the Jews didn't want to serve under him. So they they wouldn't pledge loyalty to him. And they even sent a delegation to Rome insisting they did not want to serve under him. We don't want this guy. Please don't make him our king. And it goes just along with the parable Yeshua is telling. Herod returned, having been dubbed their king, and those who expressed their disloyalty to, disloyalty to him, well, you can imagine what happened to them. They were killed. Yeshua is using this fresh imagery with which the people were familiar to reveal his kingdom. I do believe Yeshua to be the embodiment of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He lived the kingdom life here on earth as an example. In that, we see a revelation of the kingdom, the kingdom that was back in Eden, that was that, that was supposed to be, how things were supposed to be, and now the kingdom which is to come. He did inform his disciples the kingdom was yet to come. And they were getting a foretaste, if you will. They were getting to see firsthand how it should look by the way Yeshua lived. But the kingdom was still to come. It is still to come in its fullness. So like the nobleman in the parable, Yeshua has gone to a faraway land and has been given a kingdom. His kingdom is here on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Father has given him this kingdom and he will return to establish his throne. While he is away in the faraway place, at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Now, there are those who eagerly await his return, those who declare loyalty to him and his reign, regardless of who else claims to be in charge, and regardless of the consequences for claiming loyalty to him. They live as loyal subjects, loyal servants of his, of God through the Messiah Yeshua, bowing to the king. Messiah. Now, there are lots of stories and allegories that could help bring this picture together. One, definitely the Lord of the Rings. Uh, There's the Chronicles of Narnia, and even Robin Hood is a good picture of this scenario which is being played out and the parable that Yeshua told. In Robin Hood, there's evil King John, and then there's the Sheriff of Nottingham doing his bidding. Robin and his band of merry men, as well as many of the other townsfolk, knew that Richard was the rightful king, and they were waiting for him to come back and take his throne. They remained loyal to him. This is a picture of who we are right now, followers of Messiah Yeshua. Loyal to our king, 
remaining loyal to our king, regardless of who says they're in charge. We're waiting for the rightful king, Messiah, to take his throne. And there are many who do not want him to be king. They refuse to subject themselves to his authority here and now. And these are people who deny who he is. They refuse the grace, mercy, forgiveness, and justice Adonai has poured out through him. They disregard his sacrifice and they insist they will not serve him as king. What does Yeshua say about these people when he returns? But those hostile to me who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them here and execute them before me. He is using the familiar imagery with the people of what what went on with Herod. Now, some may say, well, that sounds brutal in and of itself. What makes him any better than Herod? Okay, well, a lot of things, but one glaring difference Herod killed people to establish his authority and rule. Yeshua allowed himself to be killed. I lay my life down, he said. In the most brutal way, he allowed himself to be killed to bring people into his kingdom. There will come a time when if one does not want to be subject to the authority of King Messiah Yeshua, they will receive their desire in full. Yeshua is the crowned king of the kingdom which is to come on earth. He has the title. It's a done deal. We who are, are, who are his are to live in loyalty to him in the face of any opposition, persecution, trial, or tribulation. He is the rightful king. But we don't see much evidence of that right now, do we? Now, you don't have to look too hard or too far to see evidence to the contrary. This world is a mess. And even like in the story of Robin Hood, while King Richard was away, King John and the Sheriff of Nottingham, they wreaked havoc. They poured misery on the people. And this is what we see today here on earth. Even as the writer of the book of Hebrews recorded in chapter 2, we'll start at verse 5. For it is not to angels that God has subjected the olam haba, the world to come, about which we speak. But somewhere, someone has testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? For a little while you made him lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You put all things in subjection underneath his feet. That's a quote from Psalm 8. For when he put all things in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. But for now, we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we see one who was made for a a little while lower than the angels, namely Yeshua. He is now crowned with glory and honor because of the death he suffered, so that by the grace of God, 
he might taste death for everyone. We are waiting for the return of the king. What's happening now? Much of what we witness is certainly not representative of his kingdom. And I go back and forth with a friend of mine about the kingdom and, you know, when, how it will be established. And, and he, he insists, well, the kingdom is here now. The, the kingdom is here. And Yeshua ushered it in and we're supposed to be living it now. And I agree that we should be living in loyalty to Adonai through our King Messiah Yeshua. So in that light, we can reflect his kingdom, but the fullness of his kingdom is not yet evident. It is not yet here. And we read, we could read even further about that because there will come a time, um, as we discussed in New Sensation episode, um, there will come a time when we won't need to teach everyone and our brother, know you, Adonai. We won't need to teach people to know Adonai because they will know him. That time is coming. The kingdom is coming. So, remain loyal. But it's not yet evident. The fullness of his kingdom is clearly not yet evident. Everything on earth is a shadow or is supposed to be a shadow of the heavenly reality. That's the way. That's the way the Father created it. And I'm I'm really grateful. Um, I watched a four part teaching from Michael Heiser on YouTube, and I encourage you to listen to this seminar. It's called Supernatural Seminar with Michael Heiser. H e i s e r. Wow, really good stuff. And some of what he revealed. Um, actually helped bring this episode together as I was, I've been preparing and considering this parable and Hebrews chapter two and focusing on the coming kingdom and the returning king. And uh, when, when uh, some very good friends of mine encouraged me, hey, check this, check this out. And I'm like, wow, I'm really grateful that they did. And I'm going to take a piece of what he taught in that to hopefully bring bring the rest of this together in more fullness. But that seminar shines light on so much of what we miss when we don't recognize the scriptures were not written to us, 21st century Western civilization Christians. They weren't written to us. They were absolutely written for us, but they were written to a vastly Hebrew Jewish audience. Now, Michael Heiser is an evangelical Christian. He is not Messianic or Torah observant. He's mainstream American Christian and an incredible, open-minded academic and theologian. So, Yes, I encourage you, give that seminar a listen because it will open your eyes to some truth from Scripture that has been in large part swept under the rug, ignored, or or just poorly explained away by many. And, And there are some keys to our faith in there. Back to my point about all, really, within the created universe, are shadows of the heavenly, but particularly here on earth. Adonai Elohim created the earth, all that is in it, including humanity, to be a representation of 
the heavenly reality of heaven. And this is what we, what we read, why we read man is created in his image. He took the spiritual reality and made the physical. He created it. Now we see the fall of man and the subsequent efforts made to reconcile the relationship between Yahweh and his creation. Yahweh has always had one goal and one plan with his creation. And this is something I and many others say. It's always, it's always been about relationship. Our relationship with Adonai Elohim, the Lord, our God, and his relationship with us. It's all about relationship, family, if you will. And this is why we see lots of family language so often in the scriptures. Sons, daughters, children, brothers, sisters, father, and so on. So one of the points Heisler makes is that if you ask a Christian why there is evil, pain, and suffering in the world, most would answer the fall, referring to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind. Now, a Hebrew, a Jew, including first century Israelites, Jews, they would say there are three reasons there is evil in the world. And one is certainly the fall of mankind, Genesis 3, which brings death. The next is the spiritual fall recorded in Genesis chapter 6, speaking of what the sons of God did. Lord willing, that will be for a future episode from Genesis 6, the first four verses there, and lots to tag on with that. But for now, staying focused. So the actions of these uh, accelerated the proliferation of evil on the earth. What happened there with these sons of God? After these things, we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Then Adonai saw that the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil all the time. Things were already getting bad after the fall. They were getting progressively worse. And what Genesis 6 describes, it takes things to a whole new level, like next level debauchery. Um, and this is, this is just prior to the flood. Yeah. So there's the fall in Genesis 3, bringing death. The fall in Genesis 6, proliferating evil. And then there is the fall in Genesis 11, which involves the building of the Tower of Babel. This is where Adonai confuses the languages as the people were all focused on making their name great. Building a tower that would get God's attention so he would come to them and do their bidding. Yeah, no. That is not how things work with the Most High, El Elyon. This fall leads to the scattering, the dispersing of the people. And we read the consequences, some of the consequences of this in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. And again, Lord willing, for a future episode, because there's a lot there with Genesis 6 and Genesis 11. But I'm going to stay on task here. The garden, Eden, that the father's, uh, uh, the father's goal and plan, 
the Garden of Eden hasn't it hasn't changed at all. His plan has not changed. There was no contingency plan. It remains the same. And it will come together. His plan, again, his goal, relationship with his creation, his people, family relationship. And it's going to come together in his timing. So again, we see three falls or divisions, so to speak, which separate and sever man from being rightly related to Adonai. The end goal being the father dwelling among and within his creation in paradise. This is, this is his end goal, not the end goal of these divisions. His end goal. All right. So the promised Messiah is the one who will restore the kingdom to what it was meant to be all along. Now, to stay on point here, Yeshua addresses and handles the three falls or divisions. His death is the cure, if you will, for the proliferation of sin. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The Father receives many sons based on the merit of the Son of God. That's grace. Us receiving something based on the merit of another, the merit of the Son of Adonai, Elohim, the Lord, our God, Messiah, Yeshua. It is based on his merit that we can be called sons of God. Yeshua's resurrection takes away the sting of death. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same humanity so that through death he might break the power of the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who by fear of death were in bondage all their lives. We no longer have to fear death. What is death? It is the wages of sin. We do not have to fear that. That is, that is the curse of the law, if you will, which is what? If you break the law, the wages of sin is death. We don't have to fear that because of what God has done through Messiah Yeshua in his death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah. So we can see through Messiah Yeshua, Adonai Elohim has restored the divisions caused in Genesis 3, the fall, and in Genesis 6, that great spiritual fall and the proliferation of evil. What about the division in Genesis 11? I was so happy for Adonai to confirm through Michael Heiser something that I've believed, that I've shared in the past, and I just hadn't heard any others make this connection before, but it made so much sense to me, and it clicks, and everything was there, and the division and the scattering of the people, boundaries being set, and powers that they were put under was remedied after Yeshua ascended to the Father. Remember, he told the disciples that it was important that he go away, go to the Father, going to that faraway land. It was important that he go to the Father, that the Comforter or Helper would come. The Ruach HaKodesh or Holy Spirit. 
would come when he went away. So he ascended. And several days later, 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, which is in Hebrew, Shavuot, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the people began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and each one was hearing in their own language. Here is the restoration of the division caused by man's arrogance in Babel. Not coincidentally, there were representatives of 70 nations where the Jews to where the Jews had been dispersed in Jerusalem on the day of Shavuot. 70 nations. Back in Genesis 11, the people were scattered to 70 nations. Gadol Elohai, how great is our God. He is committed to the fulfilling of his plan. Paradise will be returned and he will dwell within his people. King Yeshua will take his rightful throne. May we stay loyal to our king, though we do not see all things subjected to him yet. As we read in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is on the move. Be prepared for the return of the king. It is the final countdown. And he has blessed us and filled us with his spirit that we can remain loyal subjects to him. He empowers us. He empowers us to serve him, to follow him as he has called and told us to, as we are commanded in his word. He has called us how we are to live, and he has empowered us to do so by his spirit. Those who are his loyal subjects are to build his kingdom. We are beggars. We found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and we need to let others know where this bread may be found, that they too may live and be loyal subjects to the King Most High, King Messiah Yeshua. Let's go out and give him heaven. Grace and peace. Cain Shalom.